Hey, I'm Drew. And I'm Tim. And this is the Hearts and Hands Podcast. In episode 33, we have a special live roundtable discussion about heart music. Welcome to another episode of the Hearts and Hands Podcast. I'm your host, Tim Babler, joined in person by my friend, Drew Sonnenberg. Drew, how's it going? Good, good. We're here at Camp South in Covington, Georgia this week, uh, and we thought we'd take advantage of this opportunity to talk some, to some of our good friends and creatives um, and have this cool roundtable discussion live in person. So let's jump right to it. Welcome to the first ever live episode of the Hearts and Hands podcast. We're joined here at Camp South in Covington, Georgia by Caleb Schmiege and Ken Reeder. Thanks for being here, guys. Good Absolutely. to be here. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And we wanted to talk today about this idea of heart music. Uh, so before we get too far into it, though, we should probably establish what we mean when we say that. So does anyone here have what they would suggest is a working definition for heart music? I, I think of it as... Uh the music um, that uh, a person uh, most enjoys, um, when I think of it, especially in a worship setting, you think the songs that really speak to a person's heart. And if they could pick the songs for the service, um, there might be a certain style. Um, I think of it as having a connection to uh, the idea of a heart language that, um, you know, someone might be bilingual or trilingual. I mean, I work um, down in Miami. I'm a pastor down there. And that's uh, lots of people are bilingual. Um, and as much as many of them know English and could come to the English service, but they still want to worship in their heart language. They want to worship in Spanish because that is the language that they dream in, the language that they want to have deep conversations in, the language that they think in. Um, that's not a working definition for heart music, though. Um, but those are just, that's like, a, I feel like those are connected in some way. Yeah, funerals, right? Like, I want that song sung at my funeral. That's that's when a person to me is identifying their one of their heart songs or one of their pieces of heart music. Um, so, so heart music is is in some way beyond music you can mentally understand, beyond music that um, you're familiar with. It's music that you are laser connected to, that, that it just absolutely reaches into you um, and you can feel it. And I think mostly or generally when we use that term, we are talking more of a like a genre than we are talking about a specific song. Um, like I started with the funeral example, like there's a certain style of music or a certain sound or feel or beat to the music that, that you, you know, it brings you back or, you know, that scene in the movie Ratatouille when he takes the bites and then all of a sudden <laughs> it, that's heart food um, for him. Yeah. So that brings up a good point. Like, do you think that heart music is something that, is kind of set after a certain point in time. Like once you turn 20, you know what your heart music is and that's going to be your heart music for the rest of your life. I would argue that it's not something specifically set, but uh, it's something I think that even could change. I was thinking of the example that when I was younger, especially in worship, I mean, I just loved the fact that when I couldn't read music or whatever, I knew how to follow along to the structure of hymns because that's what I grew up with. But after a while, I started realizing that the way I really wanted to express my worship was in a completely different way. And realizing that there were songs being created that just fit my style so well and what I could uh, not just do, but what I could enjoy and receive because in worship, God comes to us. That for me means like I, it morphs over time. That's my experience with it. 
Yeah, I think I'm trying to think of you know when when would be the formative times for people informing their heart music. I, I don't think that it happens at any particular time for everyone, but um, you think of um, probably for all of you guys, like you have a certain type of music, not even really talking about worship, but you have a certain type of music that you just like to listen to. And maybe you discovered it when you were in high school, when you finally started listening to whatever music you actually wanted to listen to. I think there are formative times for people um, in the church. Um, I think of, for me, it was probably just being in church every Sunday and just the, the hymns that we sang um, over and over and over again and just hearing that all the time and that there's like a special place in my heart that will always enjoy hymns. I don't know if I don't know if I can define exactly what my heart music is, but I know that that is part of when that was formed. And it makes me wonder, you know, for someone who um, is a newcomer to Christianity, maybe later in life, you know, within their some of their first experiences with Christianity, the first couple of years, maybe that they, you know, join a church, come to the faith. Um, maybe, you know, maybe that will always be their heart music because that's the first time they were picking up on these deep truths and they were, you know, connecting deep into their heart. Um, and maybe that's one that was formed for a person like that. I think that it can change simply because the, it has a lot to do with transformative experience. So mm, yeah. you, you, you gain your heart music in the midst of transformative experience. And that can happen in a big moment. Like you're at this one concert, or you hear this one out, like my friend's big brother gave me a cassette tape with a bunch of Christian music on it when I was in sixth or seventh grade. And like, when I hear the opening notes of Chem 6A by Switchfoot, man, that is my heart music. Um, like I did, I did not know Christians could make music like that. I, that, that just was transformative for me. So that will always be part of my definition of it. Um, but that also is you know, transformative experience can also happen over like you were saying, Caleb, a long period of time, um, where it is the thing that you've consistently heard or you've consistently been a part of and that was part of you know what what formed you and made you who you are but then you know like i was watching there's a grandpa here at camp and he's got two grandsons and at the beginning of the week for the music he had his arms crossed and was sitting the whole time and today he's watching his grandsons love the music and worship and he was singing along every word of every song and I, at least in some way this becomes part of his heart yeah yeah so since since this is clearly a thing. People have heart music to one degree or another. Um, it seems like we would be remiss to not consider it as we plan worship. All of us here do some form of worship planning. So what considerations do you think you need to make as, as you plan worship, knowing that people have heart music and that they're not all the same? I think uh, you need to just realize that People's preferences are not necessarily your own. Um, as I suggest songs, pick songs for worship, um, I know what I like. Um, I know what I think are good songs and what are sometimes weaker songs. Um, but I do not have the same heart music as someone else or even the same experience with a song. I can just think the past few months I've had conversations with people who um, some have said, you know, oh, I really love it when we sing hymns in church, you know, even with a, a different arrangement or something, but oh, I really love it when we sing those hymns because they've known them at, you know, since being a, a kid. And maybe they're, they're struggling a little bit to pick up on some of the new uh, contemporary stuff that we sing. Um, but then I talked to someone else and they have the exact opposite experience. You sing some song that someone else thinks is not as deep as a, as an old Lutheran hymn. And that is the song that spoke to that person's heart that day. They said, Oh, I love it. Every time we sing that song. And I, you know, I just see that, um, in our congregation and I have to know that that's happening in lots of other places where, um, my experience is different from person A from person B. 
and maybe variety would be um, one way to attack it. I think there's validity to that, and especially realizing that not, pe- people come to faith at different stages in life and at different time periods when uh, different styles of music are maybe more popular than others. So it's good to for the people who have been, you can think of someone, like you said, a grandpa, who's this lifelong maybe member of a church, and they grew up singing hymns, and that's what they love to do. If you don't provide the opportunity for them to do that, it may be hard for that person to worship in your church. Uh, it may be a little bit different in a situation like mine because we have multiple locations and we do have a traditional service for people who specifically want that. So we have five churches in our area. You don't have to come to a service that has contemporary music if you do not want to. Uh, you have the option, but for especially a place where there may be a mission setting or there's a limited number of, of people or a limited number of churches and you can't necessarily pick and choose between a church based on preference at that point. You want to make sure that you provide opportunities for each person to have their worship opportunities. And I don't think I want to force someone to leave my church and go to another church because we're just doing necessarily one heart language. I don't want to just shove them out and say, I don't care about you. You know, I think sometimes I, um, there are some hymns for me that I just do not enjoy. I do not think they're great and singable. I think we can name glad- all of them. <laughs> so everyone can comment and no. tell me why I'm wrong. Uh, that's fine. Um, there are some that I would just really never want to sing. And there are some contemporary songs that I, I kind of loathe and I would just not want to sing. Um, but then there are people that, that they just absolutely love them. And, um, and I think you need to put yourself in somebody else's shoes. Um, I don't know, Drew, how do you think about it when you worship plan? Yeah, I mean, uh, Kent and I you have used this thing called the 25-50-25 principle where we talk about not just with the music we use, but anything we do, that 25% of the stuff we do like smacks you right between the eyes. It's, it's your heart music. Um, that's what you love. 50% you're on board with. You, you like it. It's not your absolute favorite heart music, but you like it. It's good. It makes sense to you. And 25% of the stuff we do, like you, you hate, you loathe because it's not your heart music, but it's somebody else's. Um, and that, that's served us pretty well, I think. Um, as long as you're very upfront about that. So when people are like, I hated that song, you're like, great. Somebody else loved it. Like, but you loved that first song, didn't you? Sure. Rejoice. The God of the church made a diverse world and diverse <laughs> arts to match that diverse world's needs. Right. Yeah. So pushing that to the extreme, though, like, I, th- I think it's fair to say that the music used within church is fairly kind of like the safe middle ground for the most part. There's there's some fairly extreme genres out there that don't really get used in church very often that I'm aware of. For example, part of my heart language is ska music. And as much as I've tried, I've never actually successfully <laughs> used ska music in church yet. Um, but like also you think about things like death metal or, you know, really out there genres like rap, uh, like I know that churches exist that ha- yeah. use metal and that use rap, but they're very, very much the minority. And when we talk about a church using variety, where it's it's still a fairly narrow variety we're talking about. So how do we account for the the extremes? Well, yeah. So this whole heart music conversation, and it, there's like a big, broad sort of missiological conversation that can come into this where, you know, Terry Schultz does the Latin America mission work um, and oversees a lot of that for our church body. And he talks a lot about heart music and he's looking at it at this very, very big, broad, broad level where 
like people from Latin America have a certain sound, a certain percussive feel, like that, that it's just wise to integrate. It's just wise to have that be there. And maybe if we would, you know, find a Terry Schultz for, um, the, the Midwest in our church body, like there's people who have like a certain way of using an organ that is their feel. And it's wise to, to have that available to those people. So I think we have to think about it in terms of like concentration and you have a place like where Tim Babler serves, where you do have a diverse number of options, even for, uh, Charlotte, um, right. One of the great things we kind of had going in, in Charlotte, area is that there's a more traditional style church and then one that is a little bit more contemporary and now people who are wells who come there can pick um, and they can choose but if you're in a place where there aren't so many options you got to think a little bit more broadly about the genres that you're representing within your own um, service but we want to get a pert I should say it so broadly I would love to see my dream is, is a situation where we do have these churches are, that are all over the place they're totally unified in doctrine and they are very different in the way that they sound and the feel because they're different people because there is a small portion of the population that wants metal um, in worship and I've been to a, a Zao concert and it was like worshipful but also metal and there was a mosh pit in the middle of it and I've been to a Five Iron Frenzy concert and we screamed out every new day and it was beautiful <laughs> like um, ska can be worshipful as well so like I would love to see that happen and there's probably a big sort of fat middle where there's going to be this sort of average that works out. But like if we get to the point where we're powerful enough to offer something to the fringe, that's really, yeah. Do you feel like we're, do you feel like we're leaving people? Out? I mean, I'm definitely like, I would be not at all equipped to, uh, you know, just kind of put, you know, maybe just after the offering a rap song, um, <laughs> in our service, mainly because that is, uh, I'm not uh, well versed in that, um, but I mean, and that's also not a context, right? Um, but if I were serving in a different place um, where that would be the heart music of my people, you know, um, are we are we leaving people out by not including something like that? And what's the balance between like trying to serve people who enjoy those what we would call extremes? Which, when you consider like the type of music that people actually listen to, rap is not an extreme at all. Right. Um, but we consider it an extreme for worship. Um, maybe part of the question is addressing fears. Um, <laughs> how do we address fears of music that is not our heart music? Is it just getting us to see outside ourselves? Maybe, but maybe it's being able to say to people, like, this, this isn't, like, letting them not be a part of that. <laughs> like, giving them permission to have their own heart music. And if rap in worship is not your thing like that's great like here's yours these people would like to be here and you would like to be here and you are unified in faith but you do not to be need to be at the same event like like that's just that to me is marketing you know like when we talk about permission-based marketing where we're going to honestly ask people to give us the chance to speak to them we need to speak to them um, and not make them adapt to what we say yeah one of the things that i would take into consideration is you don't have to be the only person doing the music. I know we, um, we come from different sized worship teams, but if you have somebody whose heart language is worship rap, like I think of Lecrae, for example, he is a phenomenal Christian artist. And when he gets on stage to rap, it is amazing. If there is someone like that in your church, let them share their heart with the congregation. So, but that like kind of begs the question, you know, are we 
what if we're not at the point where we have the resources or the manpower to, to do this? What, what should we be doing or can we be doing in, in the meantime until we do reach that point where we could have, you know, a, a, a entirely metal service and an entirely ska service <laughs> it's a venn diagram right? <laughs> and the one circle is what you are capable of and the other circle is what the demographic has in their heart and is there a suitably sized demographic where there's an overlap between what you can do and what they that you can reach some kind of sustainability like if we're being really practical about it those are the kind of terms we should talk in i think there's like a just like a trying to to get a sense for what your what different heart musics there are, you know, within your congregation, and I think there's a difference between like somebody saying, "Oh, it would be really cool if we could do this," versus like this is if I if I don't have this, my heart is not being spoken to. Yeah. Uh, but getting a, a sense or gauging people's um, heart music within your own Jack, because you can get into a dangerous place when you start to pursue this question, where like you do a bait and switch. And that, like, you know, that's a bad marketing practice. So, like, you just have one time when you do it, and then, you, you know, you go back to something else. Um, and that, that doesn't work either. You're not actually serving people in that. And unfortunately, that happens a lot maybe around, like, Easter time or something when you want to put on your best because you know there's a lot of visitors coming. Yeah. But then they come the next week, and it's like, uh, this isn't what I signed Especially up for. the week after Easter. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, that it, it's really hard though, because I remember a time when I was a vicar, um, we had like a younger couple come and they visited the church and my wife and I were very excited because like they were visitors, they were like our age, they were perfect for us to be able to connect to. Um, and after the service we went up to them and, and they said, like, we like the sermon, but your church has horror movie music because <laughs> um, there's an organ and they equated the organ with a horror movie. Like sure. that was what they thought of. And like, it's just a... There's a there's a really big divide there. There's sort of a gap that's difficult to cross because that congregation, 350 people or whatever, this is what they're looking for, and it's not what that couple was looking for. And dealing with that is one of the hard things about planning worship or considering evangelism in your area. I think it's tough too because sometimes people get an us versus them mentality about right. some of these things you know yeah. they, they get the this is the music that uh, that i love and my congregation sings and you hear someone else doing that or you go into a different church and they're doing something different and you think well why don't you know their music is not as good as my music <laughs> or my music is better because as this you know you see it on in different areas and oh those songs are old and boring or those songs are new and empty or whatever it is and it gets to be this us versus them thing and, and that's where we should be educating like, yes yeah it's okay for them to have the way that they do it and for you to have the way that you like, there is an us and a them because we're different people in a diverse world. Mm-hmm. Like I, I'm that's that permission exists. Yeah. Well, just in a positive sense of yeah. like, put yourself in their shoes, you know, they love that. They're not lying about, you know, some people say all oh, these people, they love these old hymns and just, well, why can't they accept this new music? Like <laughs> they actually legitimately love that. <laughs> that is the music that they love. Um, and the best, the, the, the good thing to do is not to convince them that your music is better. And then once I convince them, then that will become their heart music. It's a, a big difference between heart and mind, right? Like right. when it comes to the stuff of the mind, we can change, we can program um, in a way that we can't and shouldn't try to with heart. What do you mean by that change in program? Like, so let's talk about a doctrine where we disagree, like a piece of logic or something. That's where we need to speak 
and get on the same page. Uh, but because you can do that with the mind, with knowledge, with a fact or something like that. The heart isn't controlled in that way. You can't. I think the only way that you can control the emotions of the heart is when you jump up behind someone and you say, surprise. <laughs> <laughs> Stockholm syndrome. Maybe yeah, would be the other that, option. That might be the other one. Yeah. Yes, the darker one. Yeah. <laughs> um, All right. Well, we're just about out of time, but do we have any final thoughts or anything we didn't quite get to you guys wanted to share before we go? Just think of the question, what is the music in your service for? And then try to answer that as honestly as you can. And that's going to lead you in a good direction when it comes to people's hearts. One thing we always say in our church is, is what is the best way? What is the best way to? So if we're trying to say what is the best way to reach people and to serve people, I think that's a similar idea. Yeah, I, I love all the thoughts you guys shared. I think the biggest thing, I mean, even I need to keep thinking about is always, always, always to put myself in somebody else's shoes. Um, the person who's frustrated to, to really legitimately uh, put myself in their shoes instead of creating a straw man for their argument or just assuming that they have it wrong, but to try to think in someone else's place and imagine what, what they need um, and, and how the, the gospel needs to speak through music to them too, maybe in a different way from me. Awesome. Well, thanks for taking the time, guys. It's a busy week for all of us, but we really appreciate you helping us out this week. Thanks. Yeah, good to be here. That wraps it up for another episode of the podcast. As always, if you have any questions or uh, people you'd like us to talk to, feel free to reach out to us at heartsandhandspodcast at gmail.com or reach out to us on any social media platform at Wells Creatives. And please be sure to check out our Patreon page at patreon.com slash heartsandhandspodcast. We appreciate all the support we've been receiving there. If you haven't checked it out yet, give it a look and check out all the bonus content and uncut episodes you'll be able to find there to get access to more things that you haven't heard on the podcast itself. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.